Welcome into Two Foreign Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two Foreign Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast, ready to rip it up with my guy, Mike Renner. Snow kept us from recording on a Monday. We're recording this on a Tuesday. We're going to look at my latest 2021 NFL mock draft for PFF.com, talk all the big notable picks in that. Also look at Mike Renner's latest top 300 big board live on the site on PFF.com. And then I sit down with Virginia Tech's Caleb Farley and Ohio State's Sean Way. Two fantastic interviews to finish the podcast. Let's get it. Snow could not keep us down for long, Mike. We are back in studio here in Cincinnati, ready to record two for one drafts. The Monday episode is much anticipated, too. We got Caleb Farley on this episode. We got Sean Wade on this episode. My latest mock, your big board. Like, there's a lot of good content on this episode. It, it just sucks it had to get delayed. I know. The snow was pretty brutal. Like getting here even today on a Tuesday was not the best experience in the world. I will say that. I had to pry open. I had to pry open the gate to our garage by myself. It was unpleasant. To say I mean, least. producer Mike Quinn had to, like barely, had to risk his life. We're walking distance to the yeah, office. Still like he he still drove, but <laughs> Mike Quinn has to drive here. He like risks his life to get the, here. So we the, definitely so like that. the the first ninety five percent of the way in was fine. It's just trying to find a parking spot in downtown Cincinnati with the snow is is brutal. Yeah, especially yeah. when our uh, driveway isn't clear. No, which... it's it's a disaster. It's a disaster here at the offices. Um, definitely need to open up with a handful of things. I got the story about my dad and the pit bull. But before we get into that, there's some Cincinnati news. Yeah, Pac-Man hey. Jones knocked out a bouncer. How did you first find out about this story? I wake up Monday morning. My friend here is a cop in town to a text saying Pac-Man Jones just knocked out the bouncer at Clutch. Clutch is like a new bar. That opens in OTR, honestly, like three blocks from where we are right now. It's, we're very close to where Pac-Man Jones, to where the, the scene of the crime. And, and to set the scene for Clutch, too, it's a bar in OTR, downtown Cincinnati, that I think doesn't Trashy. believe in COVID. <laughs> yeah. Because if you walk in there, if you see people waiting in line, there is no one in mass. Everyone's just having a it's good a, time. It's a club in quotation marks. Yeah. And actually, the guy who runs it lives in my building. Oh, wow. And the guy who's the GM there lived across from me before he moved. So I know the people that like are in charge of it. Maybe not the most upstanding of uh, individuals there. I, I know actually know someone who was arrested there on Friday night too uh, this past week. Oh, that's right. <laughs> so, but Pac-Man, I wake to that text. I see he sends me a Snapchat of some things happening at Clutch. And then Pac-Man goes on to tell the story on Pat McAfee's show that day about what happened, and it completely contradicts the TMZ <laughs> report the next day about what happened from an eyewitness account, which is not too unsurprising, given Pac-Man's history. we got to get Pac-Man Jones on the pod. We need to hear his version of the story. I still haven't been to Clutch, for obvious reasons. It doesn't look like a Same. good place to go. He uh, follows me on Twitter. I should just hit him up. There Pac-Man we go. Yeah. There we go. That's called Connections, baby. I did shop with him at a bar a couple years ago. Told you called him, was, him the best man cover corner yeah, in the NFL. Him and Revis. <laughs> We need to get him on the podcast. That's incredible. All right. The story I wanted to rip today, bringing my dad back into the conversation. Um, So my dad has this pit bull. His name is Cheech. And to set the stage for this pit bull, he's one of those dogs that like is looks and is menacing as hell. My dad like trained him to be a monster. You know, like that Bill Burr comedian, that episode where he says the dogs like embody your own personality. My dad like would wrestle this dog to like 
be the alpha male every night. And it's like, it became a monster. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. So this thing, if there would be times where I forget my keys and had to like get in through the back door, you start hopping the fence, it starts gnawing on the cement steps behind you. Like it's like legitimately like, ah, it's, it's, it's a psychopath. Anyway, this dog, however, is very friendly to people it knows. It like is very friendly to people knows. People it doesn't know, it's not great. It's not friendly to any animal. Doesn't matter if it knows it, doesn't matter at all. It'll eat, attack any animal. Yeah. One day, my grandma, who lives with my dad, it goes outside to smoke and forgets that Cheech was left in the house. Sometimes he'll sleep outside or whatever. Forgets that Cheech was left in the house, and you just leave an inch of that door open, he'll bolt out if he sees something. And then there's this lady walking her small little like poodle looking dog. I don't, oh, poodles are no. big. Uh, like a little shih tzu. I don't know yeah. what dogs are. I know what dogs are, but I don't <laughs> know a lot of dog types. Um, my dad was coming off a, a, a pretty big bender and, and was in bed naked with this girl, one of my stepmoms. Um, one of the few, one of the proud. Um, he's in, naked in bed and hears Cheech bolt out and my grandma scream and then he hears the lady scream. Dog comes barreling down. My dad has like... Remember, talk about my dad, mechanic. He has like six cars outside. She grabs her dog, scoots him, scoops her up, and Cheech is jumping to go get him. She sets the dog on the car. Like she's setting him on top, and she's like trying to like keep him from getting attacked while the dog is not attacking her. He's trying to jump on the car to just eat this little yeah. shih tzu. We call it a shih tzu. My dad comes barreling out. Think about this. My dad comes barreling out naked, sprints down the stairs, probably still drunk or a combination of crossfaded, comes down, sprints out naked, and tackles the dog not like tries to like i feel like there were better solutions in place like that you did not have to do he tackles the dog and like ufc fights it to the ground and the way he describes it is he's on the ground naked wrestling cheech who's a a big thick pit bull and screaming at this random lady to run and she's not like she's like frozen she's like doesn't know what to do and he's just like run run and then apparently she eventually starts scooting away and then like he has to like carry cheech back into the house but um it's another one of those ones where like think about it from her point of view she's just walking by this pit bull comes out this naked dude tackles him screaming to run she tells the same story on a different podcast and it's probably incredible why does he have an austin tattoo also she's probably thinking yeah yeah she saw the tattoo and was like wow this guy's made bad decisions in the past for sure but um was it a legal hit i mean this is a football podcast did he it was a legal hit it was oh, a legal dude, hit not so an unnecessary he, okay. he calls it nice. like a ray lewis tackle like he, nice he was, well like, he ray like, lewis by today's standards probably yeah, had some tackles that maybe didn't no true no ray lewis was a monster yeah. back in the day it was definitely like a ray lewis style hit um let's get in the podcast here no more pac-man jones no more austin's dad and austin's dad's stepmom slash dogs um Let's talk my mock draft. And we're going to kind of shift roles yes. here. Since I wrote this mock draft, you're going to read host picks. Role. Yeah, you're going to play the host role. Read picks one through five, and we'll touch on some of the notables, some of the analysis, and go from there. Go ahead and rip this mock. Yeah, let's touch on it. Worst mock ever already, I can tell. Love Number it. one, Jacksonville Jaguars select quarterback Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. Number two, New York Jets go Zach Wilson, the BYU QB. No surprises yet. Number three, here we go, Eagles fans. Justin Fields, Ohio State. They trade up the Eagles with the Dolphins. That one's interesting. Number four, QBs one, two, three, four for the first time in NFL history. Atlanta Falcons select quarterback Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. And then number five, Bengals dream, Penny Sewell drops in their lap. I, I did number five for Quinn and Quinn only. Yeah. Penny Sewell, that situation is a dream scenario for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I think it could happen if we do see, like you said, for the first time in mm-hmm. NFL history, four quarterbacks go back to back to back to back. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Or the most obvious kind of outlandish, not outlandish, but outlier pick compared to other mock the one drafts. that's going to get you death threats yes i did Twitter get death threats let, let me let me Eagles preface fans. it with this when i so i sent we had this mock draft come out yesterday 
And I have, obviously, the Philadelphia Eagles trading up to go get Justin Fields. There are literally Eagles fans. And I've talked about NFL fandom on this podcast before and how psychotic it can be. Yeah. Eagles fans asking for my address to send me bombs. Multiple ones telling me how much Jalen Hurts squats. One of them said, do you realize how, how much does he squat? 600 plus pounds, Ooh. according to multiple sources. <laughs> he was, he was, he did win like a Texas weightlifting title back in high school. Someone said, do you not realize how tough Jalen Hurts is? That's someone said that the, the lead then he can handle some competition. I, I, exactly. <laughs> so let me talk about this pick overall. Obviously, Philadelphia Eagles fans are, are reacting insanely. The most common feedback I got was, why would you not just try to build around Hurts? Why would you not just try to build around Hurts? And I said, that is a strategy you can take. I said, there are two strategies really that the Eagles can take right now. Yeah. But none of which involve Carson Wentz. Like you have, I think at this point he is being traded away. Chicago is the favorite. Indy's a close second. The highest bidder is going to get Carson Wentz. Whether that's two firsts, a first and a second, or two second rounders. I think two second rounders is what I'm hearing. I could see that happening soon. So either way, you're either building around Jalen Hurts with the draft capital you allocate from the Carson Wentz trade, or... You're using that draft capital to try and make an upgrade at that position. There isn't a single analyst in the country that would say Jalen Hurts is a better prospect than Justin Fields. I, I, coming yeah. out. Not at all. I don't think there's one. You, I, I, I'm hopeful and to I find it. I don't think it's close. And I don't think it's close. There's a reason Jalen Hurts went in the second round. Yeah. Like, all 32 teams passed on him at least once. You know, Justin Fields is legitimately talked about as the number two, if not the number three quarterback in this class. I would go far as to say, I'm not sure there's a single thing Jalen Hurts does better about the quarterback position than Justin Fields. That's a quote graphic. Social team is jumping on that, my friend, and I love it. Either way, either way, that, those are two strategies. And, I, and the Eagles fans that DM'd me and the ones that I did respond to, I said, one is building around Hurts, one is trying to get aggressive and get better at the quarterback position. The Hurts one, I feel less confident in because I do feel like the probability that he develops into a top 10, top 5 quarterback is lower than the probability that Fields does, regardless of support and cast. So they go up, use the Wentz deal, plus the number six pick, to go grab Justin Fields before the Falcons can take him. Because I do think they're thinking about quarterback in this class. Yeah. And bringing in Justin Fields, the number one counter-argument is, after what about building around Hurts, is he'll have no one. You can't build around him. I'm telling you right now, the number six pick by itself, and even the two picks you get in the Wentz trade, are not bringing this Eagles team enough to make them uber competitive with Jalen Hurts under center. I'm sorry. And... You don't have to immediately trade Jalen Hurts away. You can keep him to compete. You can have him compete with Fields and Hurts here. And if there's any team in the NFL, if there's any fan base in the NFL that should understand the value of quarterbacks, it's the Philadelphia Eagles. Because Carson Wentz, the worst quarterback in the NFL last year, at his lowest perceived yeah. value, is probably going to get multiple picks, multiple top 50 picks in exchange for his services. Yeah. Think about what you can get for Jalen Hurts if he plays a handful of good games ahead of Justin Fields or vice versa. The quarterback position is Although too valuable to still, pass up on. Still priors. A lot of that. No, people of believe Wentz was MVP level at some point, so then they continue to believe that. No one believed Hurts was ever first round, so he has to kind of disprove that. No, so absolutely. Like someone like in the sixth round you're drafting Gardner Minshew, you're not all of a sudden going to get a second rounder in return just because oh, not at all for a little bit people are gonna you're gonna have to really disprove it at that point from your prior opinion on a guy but when you're drafting a guy number three overall justin fields where a lot of people have high grades on him the prior is very good josh so rosen still got a second round pick yeah and so. the other thing is that some of the eagles fans are saying you can win with jalen hurts and i said the kansas city chiefs could win with alex smith they went to playoffs with alex smith yeah. the following offseason they said it's not enough we need to go get the guy and trade it up multiple picks to go get Patrick Mahomes. This isn't the same situation because they don't even have a guy that's as good as Alex Smith. Jalen Hurts is not even that level. That's so, the thing. I don't think Eagles fans realize or want to accept that they won four games last year. You don't win four games when you're a good team. 
I'm sorry, you just don't. Yeah. You have one sixth overall pick, one whatever overall pick is not going to transform your fortune next year. It's not. Sorry. And especially if you do get more picks in a Carson Wentz trade. like Because the the other thing is like, okay, you'd have to trade number six and maybe a future first, future second to come up. But if you get those picks in the Wentz trade and Wentz and the number six pick becomes Justin Fields, yeah. That's, that's, that's a steal. That's a steal. Quarterback. That's the only one that can change fortune like that. All right, let's get to the next five. All right, next five. Here we go. Miami Dolphins at number six. Obviously, after trading with the Eagles, they go wide receiver Jamar Chase out of LSU. Detroit Lions licking their chops because the top linebacker is still on the board. They go Micah Parsons out of Penn State. Carolina Panthers, Stan Pat, not in the quarterback class here. They go tight end Kyle Pitts out of Florida. Denver Broncos. Edge rusher Quiddy Pay out of Michigan. A lot of upset Broncos fans. How does he see the field there? Dallas Cowboys go Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech. That one's going to get mocked a ton, either him or Sertan there at number 10. Let's go with the Broncos one, though. I want to hear this reasoning. Quiddy Pay out of Michigan at number nine. So Va- the, the number one reason, so I do think he sees the field. With Bradley Chubb and Von Miller, by the way. Von Miller, 31, coming off a severe ankle injury and currently under criminal, criminal investigation. You, oh, yeah. You don't know... What you, no one knows that it's I, I googled the Von Miller story like 30 times trying to find any additional information since January and they are keeping everything behind closed doors. Texts were bad if you've not seen the text. I haven't seen the texts. Oh, you haven't seen the texts? What were the texts? They were like texts to his supposedly leaked texts to his baby mama about uh, saying something about persuading her to get an abortion. It was bad. Oh man. So okay, either way, Von Miller, 31, coming off an ankle injury with a criminal That's investigation. A legend, by the way. There might be there might be some opportunity to upgrade that position. I think Quiddy Pay is that good. Like I, I do think Caleb Farley here is an option. I think Patrick Sertan here is an option. But Quiddy Pay getting better at pass rush, I think is is definitely the move. God damn it! I just laughed thinking about. Never mind that being a quote graphic because you talked about the quote graphic. No, that's not going to be a quote graphic. And then you mentioned too the Carolina Panthers not in the quarterback conversation. Oh. All four are gone. Like if all four are gone. Taking the best player available, like Kyle Pitts, and I, I think it was first the PFF NFL podcast that brought up how good Pitts would be in Joe Brady's offense and adding another yeah. weapon. Are you going to win the big dance with Teddy Bridgewater and all the weapons in the world? Probably not. But you put yourself in this situation. You put yourself in this bridge quarterback situation. You might as well add as many weapons as possible in the meantime. And then the other pick that I think I wanted to highlight was Jamar Chase going to the Dolphins. They trade down from three to six, allocate some of the capital from that Wentz trade that the Eagles sent over, and then add the number one receiver in this mm-hmm. class, in our opinion, or just a top receiver, whether it's Devontae Smith or Chase, I do think is a monster step in the right direction to building around Tua Tungvaluwa, buying into this Brandon Bean yeah. level of roster development where we have the quarterback, or at least we think we do, and we're going to throw the kitchen sink at building around him. Let's start with the wide receiver position. Let's bring in Jamar Chase. Yeah, and I I wrote about Jamar Chase last week, on last Friday, if you want to go check it out on pff.com, just breaking down basically strengths and weaknesses of his game, how he wins. And I, for that offense, now it's obviously going to be different this year, new offense coordinator, but like with Tua Tungvaluwa, I think he's their best sort of mesh with him. Now, obviously, Devontae Smith already played with Tua Tungvaluwa, but I think for how Tua Tungvaluwa wins, I, I think Jamar Chase is your best bet there at the receiver position. Let's get to the next five. All right, next five. That's my role, excuse me. Sorry. I get to say that. All right, number 11, you have the New York Giants going wide receiver Jalen Waddle from Alabama. Steal 12 49ers getting Devon uh, Smith typo there on the website. Devonte Smith from Alabama. That's your job. Number 13, we have the Los Angeles Chargers going Rayshon Slater 
Northwestern. Love that fit. Minnesota Vikings getting offensive tackle Christian Derisaw out of Virginia Tech. And then 15, New England Patriots. Christian Barmore, defensive tackle out of Alabama. And Patriots fans everywhere just let out a collective sigh. They're really upset with that pick. Yeah. They didn't get I didn't get any bomb threats like I did from Philly for that pick, but they're not happy. They're too, they're too like high off the hog. They're still fat from all the wins. So they can't be that mad at all the championships. There probably isn't a fan base mad. in the NFL that is But they're just like annoyed at this point that they just haven't had a good draft pick in like three years. I don't know what it feels like, but I'm sure it's very difficult to come out of a dynasty and feel like you can't get right back in it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like other fan bases are way used to being bad. Like so many fan bases over the past 10, 15 years have been bad at least one or two seasons. Mm-hmm. The Patriots simply have not. Like they have been good. Even when Tom Brady was hurt that entire season, they went 11 and five. Like getting adjusted to your roster is bad. Your quarterback is bad. This isn't good. It's not going to be easy. But starting with um, Giants picking Waddle over Smith, he's ranked higher on PFF's big board. And I also think adding some speed is big for that Giants receiving core. Um, and and San Francisco 49ers fans don't like the Devontae Smith pick. They think they already invested in wide receiver. They have Debo Samuel. They have Brandon Ayuk. But I don't think they have that true alpha on the outside that can win consistently like a, like a Devontae Smith can. And I do think that if the San Francisco 49ers are going to buy into this fact that we're winning with Jimmy G, similar to the Carolina Panthers situation, if we, we got to try and win with Teddy B, it's like, well, you better do it with all the best weapons in the world. You're going to need a receiving core that is close to what the Dallas Cowboys have, what the Kansas City Chiefs have, and a ton of weapons. And I think adding another guy there at 12, I think the value does make sense. And there might be some people who are like, are you serious? Devontae Smith falling to 12 with Chase and Waddle going ahead? Daniel Jeremiah of NFL.com had Devontae Smith falling to 14 yeah. after Smith, after or after Chase, after Waddle, all the way to 14 in the Minnesota Vikings. So I do not think this is as outlandish. And we were kind of first on this idea that Devontae Smith is not the obvious wide receiver one. And then you've started to see more analysts, more media kind of buy into that, except for ESPN. Trendsetters. ESPN. We're trendsetters. That's ESPN is still say. saying Devontae Smith's the number one receiver. I think Mel Kuyper has him as the number two or number three player in the class. That I think you could see come down. I do. I honestly think as you get close to the draft, Mel Kuyper is going to drop Devontae Smith down his board. Full stop. You can, you can quote me on that. I do think that happens. Anyway. Okay. The le- next few picks here, Slater, the Chargers, is constantly mocked. Vikings adding off the tackle, I think, is big. And for the Barmore pick, it's like, I've had this conversation about Patriots fans a ton. It's like, do not force a Mac Jones here because you need to try and get competitive fast. Like, we don't have an answer at quarterback. I've said this. I'll say it again. They should have taken 2020. They didn't. But don't do this again in that you're going to try and find this quarterback that isn't a, even a top four quarterback in this class. You're better off building up the roster that is admittedly bad with a defensive tackle, with a receiver, continuing to add pieces at other positions, and hoping that you land a top five pick next year to go grab a Slovis, a Howell, a Rattler, or whoever it may be. I think characterizing it should have tanked in 2020 is a, not how I would say uh, what they should have done. They should have realized that they have old position players who are still valuable guys like Stefan Gilmore guys like maybe Jason McCourty who have trade value kind of like what the Jaguars did realizing that hey you know Clay's Campbell has trade value right now we have guys who we can flip for picks Yannick Ngakwe has trade value let's flip them for picks and then we'll have cap space also sooner rather than later on guys like that and so they didn't they stuck with it they went into no the no man's land of picking 15th in the NFL draft and now they're completely, for what I would say, major, most likely, 
out of this quarterback class altogether, unless it's Mac Jones. They're out of the top of the quarterback class. I don't think they're getting one of those top four, unfortunately. If things went otherwise, yeah. they're picking somewhere 8-9, they'd be in on one of those top four, but they're not. So and the, the other thing I'll add about Christian Barmore before we jump to the next five, and we'll get into this when we break down your uh, big board, but Christian Barmore is the number 14 player on PFF's big board right now, the number one defensive tackle. He's sweet, man. Barmore's the, awesome. good. And the next defensive tackle on the board is Aleem McNeil at 47. Okay, if, and Eric Eager said this in a Slack chat today. It's like he thinks teams will not overdraft, but draft Barmore higher, knowing that yeah. if you have a need at defensive tackle and you want to add some juice there, it's not going to come you know, on day two, day three. Like This is not a deep defensive tackle class. Positional scarcity is a real thing in the NFL draft. And we'll actually get to that's a good tease. We're going to get to that when we go to the big board, kind of mm-hmm. tiering the classes at I'm certain I'm a natural host, Mike. I know how to tease, man. Tiers. So, well... Done. It's the pleasing friend. where I struggle. Tease is, is every. I that's got what it they, all. That's what that's what they tell me. All right. On number sixteen, we got Arizona Cardinals going cornerback Patrick Sertan out of Alabama. Obviously, Patrick Peterson. They're parting ways this offseason. So the knee there, obvious. 17, Las Vegas Raiders going Jason Owe, edge defender out of Penn State. I'm not sure he's gritty enough. 18, Miami Dolphins going edge defender Gregory Rousseau out of Miami. Staying home there. Washington football team at 19 going J.C. Horn, South Carolina. And then at number 20, we have offensive tackle Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State going to the Chicago Bears. So Patrick Sutan, I rarely have seen him mocked out after like 10. Like everyone has him either going to Denver or Dallas. In this situation, I obviously have Denver grabbing Quiddy Pay and then teams attacking other needs before that. If he falls to 16, and I know he's the 16th ranked player on PFS board right now, but a lot of people see him as a top 10 player in this class. At 16, I really like the value for Arizona, especially with Patrick Peterson on his way out. I also went the Las Vegas Raiders not addressing linebacker, not grabbing Nick Bolton or Jeremiah Wusukoromoa. I think the more the better positional value and the better player, really, at this point, is Jason Owe of Penn State. A guy with legitimate juice, doesn't have the pass rush production, a young player. He is an arm and a leg better of an athlete and more explosive than what Clem Furrell brings to the table. And despite as much investment as they've made in the defensive Don't line. Talk bad about Clem Furrell. Like they, they, they drafted Cleveland Furl, Arden Key, Max Crosby, Maurice Hurst, signed Malik Collins in free agency. Like Jonathan Hankins, like they've done so much to try and make up for the Cleo Mack trade. It hasn't worked. The only way you're really going to do it is if you buy into like a legit rare athlete. And I think that's exactly what Jason Owe is. Does he need to develop at the next level? Absolutely. But I think that makes sense to me at 17. After that, Max Crosby was a rare athlete. No, he was. That man had a freaky combine. He did. No, you're right. I think weight was the thing, right? Adding weight was the big thing. But uh, Miami, Greg Rousseau, I, I like that. I like him staying home. It's way better than the pick I continue to see is Najee Harris at 18. I don't think you should go running back if you're Miami at 18. I think they got Rousseau, no needs, though. No other needs. They have, they have needs. I'm no telling you right needs. now. They've got needs. And, and Rousseau at 18, I think, is awesome. Horn over some of the slot cornerbacks I like in this class at 19. And then Chicago, best offensive tackle available meets yeah. meets need here. Um, and Tevin Jenkins. All right, guy. let's kick it to the next five then. We got the Indianapolis Colts at 21 going Wide receiver Rondale Moore out of Purdue to try to replace T.Y. Stay home. There. That's another stay home. Yeah, stay home, although he's from Louisville. Um, Kill me. Tennessee tight. I mean. <laughs> no, I get what you're saying. Straight down state. Uh, I think he might actually be from the Indiana side of Louisville. Oh, let's go. So, your money. At 22, we have the Tennessee Titans going Aziz Ojulari out of Georgia, edge rusher, to pair with my boy out of Boston College there, Harold Landry. Number 23, New York Jets, Rashad Bateman, the Minnesota wide receiver. Number 24, and again, not running back. At number 24, Pittsburgh Steelers going Jalen Phillips, 
edge defender out of Miami to replace Bud Dupree, who's likely to leave in free agency. And then Jacksonville Jaguars at 25. Trayvon Morig, the safety out of TCU, because they just need help in that secondary. Yeah, I think um, I'll start. I think Azuzo Jolari is a constant mock. I love Rondell Moore to the Colts, and I know Colts fans do too. A lot of Purdue fans love that fit. Um, Bateman to the Jets, I think, is something you've seen a ton. Let's start with Jalen Phillips to Pittsburgh. Okay. You see a lot of running backs mocked to the Pittsburgh Steelers or offensive linemen. I do think that offensive tackle or edge is the play for Pittsburgh with where they're at and where we think the draft does fall. I think they can get a very good edge defender or a very good offensive tackle in this class at 24. You don't have to force a quote unquote need at running back. And as for Jalen, I like Alex Highsmith though as a rookie. Like he, he was, no, I do too. And I do too. And you don't have to start Jalen Phillips out of the gate. You know, if you want to give Highsmith the opportunity to start or say they do reside Bud Dupree, what but, they want is a consistent cycle of oh, really, really good be. pass rushers. Yeah, and they love those athletic freaks on the end. You got TJ Watt, Bud Dupree, Highsmith, and you add Phillips in there. Like that's a rotation that keeps this defense from yeah, regressing you keep as that far dominant as D line. Holes in the secondary get kind of covered up a little bit there. And Phillips is rare, man. We're, we're working to get he's him sweet. on the podcast. And I, I talked to Gregory Rousseau about him and like he's rare. I, I, oh, I also he talked quote to tweeted me at last uh Friday when I tweeted about Trevor Lawrence. Who did? Jalen Phillips. Oh, nice. He's active on Twitter. I also talked to Osa Adigizua, who was a former teammate of Jalen Phillips when he was at UCLA. And he says they're they're workout partners at Exos in, I think, somewhere in California. And he says he probably outlifts them, but Jalen Phillips is like one of the fastest players at his size he's ever seen. Like, I honestly think that Jalen Phillips is going to get slept on in this class, or at least was. Now, I think consistently getting mocked at the back end of the first round, I feel confident in that. And then, a quality tease. I I talked to Trayvon Morg recently. Goes number 25, the Jacksonville Jaguars. For the same reason Barmore is going to be covered highly, Morig, I think could I could see coveted really highly. I think he's the best free safety prospect in this class, and I don't think it's close. And I think he could play a lot of different things as Shots well. Shots fired at Andre Cisco. Shot fires at Andre Cisco. But right now on PFF's board, courtesy of you, Trayvon Morig. He goes by Trey. He let me call him Trey. So anyway, Trey Morig at number seventeen. After that, What's the next you? best safety is TCU's Darius Washington at number forty-two. Like if you want a legitimate safety prospect, it's going to have to come high. And I think at twenty-five for Jacksonville, I think that's a power move. I I, I can get on board with it. We'll talk about this later. Safety is a valuable position. Versatile safety in today's NFL has a ton of value, in my humble opinion. Let's read the bottom seven. But, all right, last portion of the mock. Cleveland Browns, linebacker. Everyone's got them going linebacker. Jeremiah Wusukoromoa out of Notre Dame. Baltimore Ravens, Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC to fix that offensive line. New Orleans Saints going quarterback Mac Jones out of Alabama. I, I do love that fit. I wonder if he falls all the way to them. Green Bay Packers going Kadarius Toney, wide receiver out of Florida. Gotta love it. Wide receiver, not really going to happen, but still got to love it. Number 30, Buffalo Bills going Asante Samuel Jr. out of Florida State. I could actually see that. Number 31, Kansas City Chiefs going Dylan Redunds. Raidens. Raidens. I fucking bet. Out of North Coast State, the offensive tackle slash could play interior offensive line for them early. And then Bucks going offensive tackle Samuel Cosme. Let's start with that one. Yeah. That, one's, that, that one jumped out right away because they just signed Donovan Smith to a deal. And now they got Tristan Wirfs. Donovan Smith, I think, could be a cap casualty this offseason. If they look to sign Levante David, they can save a decent amount of money. Oh, no, $14 million in cap space with zero dead cap if they release Donovan Smith. Should they do that? They just want a Super Bowl with Donovan Smith. And and he's coming off the highest-graded season of his career. I'm not saying it's likely, but he could be. And the reason for that is is that Levante David, Shaquille Barrett, and Chris Godwin are all free agents. Yeah. I think even – I think Indom Kung Su is also a free agent. He might retire, whatever. But, like – if you want to bring back David Godwin or Barrett and or Barrett, 
I think making a move off of Donovan Smith, potentially kicking Tristan Wirfs to left, and then starting to invest in the offensive line again in this offensive line class makes a ton of sense. You have eight offensive tackles in your top 40 on PFS draft board. Like this is a legitimately good offensive tackle class. And at the back end of the first round, trying to jump on these guys before they start coming off the board in bunches in day two, I think could be a power move. And Sam Cosme, though he like lacks that strength, I do think he has a ton of freaky tools, former four-star, five-star recruit that like he'll develop. I think his yeah. best football is ahead of him in the NFL. And I think working with Tristan Wurst, working with the Buccaneers and that offensive line, even if Donovan Smith comes back, like having that as a as a swing piece, we've seen what happens when you lose an offensive tackle. We've seen what happens when you uh, when one gets injured and you have to play yeah. in the Super Bowl. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers saw it firsthand. I, I like Cosme as a value there at thirty two. All right, other one I want to touch on: Buffalo Bills. Give me the rationale here for Asante Samuel because Sam- I'm a big fan. I love Asante Samuel Jr. I think he belongs think in the first round. I think the Buffalo Bills do a really good job of developing cornerback talent. And as much as I like. You know, Josh Norman, uh, Levi Wallace, uh, working opposite of Tredavious White. I think trying to get better at that position every year (laughs) is smart. As As much as I like it. Well, I mean, being kind of sarcastic. I do think that they need to get... Okay, this is following the Tampa Bay Buccaneers model. Continue to get better in the secondary. You could like Levi Wallace all you want. Like him as your second or third or fourth cornerback. And watch yourself, watch your secondary improve. Like, I don't, like I said... Whether you like the options you currently have, continuing to get better when the value makes sense, specifically here with Asante Samuel Jr., is how you make a legit top-end secondary in the NFL. I'm working on a theory that I need a name for, Uh where it's positions like cornerback, where if you add one to that existing group, one good one, it makes multiple different positions better. Ooh. You know? I think that's something that you should definitely look into. It's what's like a cascade theory, cascade positions, Tr- trickle down effect, trickle down, maybe the trickle down positions because you add, you add a number one corner to a group that has, you know, the so Jalen Ramsey thing. Well, yeah. Jalen Ramsey makes Darius Williams makes better. your makes second Troy quarter Hill better. better, makes your third corner better. All of a sudden you don't have Jalen Ramsey. Now Darius Williams is your one. He has to go guard their best receiver. Do you want that? No, no. Like that, that all of a sudden. So positions like cornerback, I think wide receiver would also be one of those, um, is that it? Safety, maybe? I, I think that's about it. Like, they have a trickle-down effect when you add one at the top. It makes multiple positions better, not just that position that you've got. It's a good working theory. I, I struggled we'll with it out. keeping Kadarius Tony in the first round. I think I could see him slip to the top of day two. But for the Green Bay Packers, who have, like, such an obvious need for that kind of role in their offense, like, they don't... Oh, don't tell that to Packers. <laughs> in addition to a need at wide receiver, like, throw that out. I'm saying they have a need for a guy that is a... a a gadget player. Like, they need a yeah. slot that can do fancy things after the catch and, and be their screen guy. Like, Devontae Adams is best utilized in the role he currently has now. Like, I would not put Marcus Valdez-Scantling, Equanimia St. Brown, Robert Tunyon, like these other pass catchers in any role that Kadarius Tony will play. Bringing him in adds yeah. a legitimately another dimension to that offense. Trickle-down effect. So. Trickle-down effect. Either way, that's my mock draft. If you hate it, please DM me a bomb threat. I'm sending out addresses for free. I know where he lives. You can ask me. Okay, perfect. Perfect. All right, host roll, back to you. Back to me. Let's go over the big board. So the way I wanted to break this down, uh, and then we'll go big board, and then we'll jump to the interviews after this. The way I wanted to break this down was look at it by position group and start to kind of evaluate or tier the big board, knowing that you have overall ranks for these guys and also their ranks in the class. So I want to start first with the linebacker class. And if you want to check out the full big board, all 300 names, go to pff.com. Google PFF Big Board. You'll find it. It's all there, all clickable to our draft guide, like a lot of cool stuff there on pff.com. But for linebacker, 
It starts with Pinka Parsons, the number six player in the class, according to PFF's big board, according to your big board. And then after that, there's this tier of Jeremiah Wusukoromoa, Nick Bolton, and Zayvon Collins that rank at 19, 22, and 31, respectively. But all four of these guys, even though those three guys are in a tier by themselves, all four of these guys are going to be used completely differently. Yes. The, only, the closest thing is probably like Zayvon Collins and, and Micah Parsons. Parsons. Yep. But talk to me about the, the different roles these guys will play within their tiers. Yeah, that's the thing. It's I think Parsons obviously has the most complete skill set of the bunch, where it's just that's your quintessential Mike linebacker in the NFL. He can do the things that Mike linebackers have done for the last 50 years. He, that's You feel good about him doing that. Maybe he's not Isaiah Simmons where, oh, you can have him go run to deep middle safety and he can not look out of place. But that's that's not the most valuable part of playing the position, in my opinion. Jeremiah Wuskaramoa is more closely related to that, where he can do all those different coverage things, not look out of place, but the man's never played between the tackles. Now, some, like, at times he'll be there in Notre Dame's defense. He's played but slot corner more than he's played yes, box. Yes, he was, His role was more closely related to an NFL slot corner than it was to an NFL linebacker. Then Nick Bolton is, again, that's your middle linebacker. Between the tackles at Missouri, feel good about him doing all that thing. So you're going to put him in the slot and let him go one-on-one with the wide receiver? You don't want that. If that's a role in your scheme, if that's what you're going to ask your linebackers to do, don't draft him. I don't in the first round at least, maybe in the second round, but not. That's not where you want him. And then Zayvon Collins is kind of like a different role altogether. Where it's if you're blitzing your linebackers, if you are spot drop zoning your linebackers to where he can just close windows with his length and his wingspan, your money. That's his. That's what he can do all day, every day. And so, how you rank these? We rank them in a vacuum based off of theoretical talent, which is difficult. Mm-hmm. How you rank these on your board as an NFL team is going to be based on what scheme you play and what you're trying to run from your middle linebacker. So it's going to be all jumbled up. It, this could be completely different on all 32 boards across the league. The teams might not even have you know some of these guys on their boards because they won't fit into their scheme. So, But I do think those four are quite clearly, Parsons, like I said, in the tier of certainty by himself, but then the three after that, if they go to those roles – they'll be productive players. The other two linebackers I want to talk about on your board and in, in interesting levels of the board are number 45, LSU's Jabril Cox, the former North Dakota State linebacker that transferred to LSU, had a very good season, specifically in coverage for the Tigers, and then went to the Senior Bowl and was hands down the best coverage linebacker at the Senior Bowl that down is. there in Mobile. He's at number 45. And then at number 62, I know one of your favorites, a former five-star out of Cincinnati, went to Ohio State, Justin Hilliard, who played some edge at the Senior Bowl, played some off ball at the Senior Bowl. He's so, what are those? Where are you at with those two prospects? Obviously at 45 and 62, but do you like them as these values on day two? He's probably the most, like the most complete athlete at the position. Hilliard? After Michael Parsons. Oh, okay. In terms of like size, speed, quicks, explosiveness. Like he is exceptional, but torn bicep in both arms, torn meniscus. His injury history is disastrous. Yikes. Five years at OSU, never played more than 221 snaps in a season. You go flip on the tape this past year, though. He was hands down their best linebacker at Ohio State. The game against Alabama in the national championship game, he was the only difference maker on that defense. He was the only guy really doing much of anything on that defense. But old injury history, got to vet that. But talent level, he is you're not going to find a guy with his talent level usually where he's going to end up coming off the board in this draft. I lied. Two more linebackers. Okay. 85, J- 
Jameen Davis of Kentucky, and at 89, Chaz Surratt of UNC. I've seen Jameen Davis mocked in some first rounds. Like some guys are considering him top 32, top 40 player. And then Chaz Surratt, I think we've settled in a good place on Chaz Surratt. Originally, there was some hype about potentially becoming a first rounder, but the arm length measurement was a concern. He looked out of place in Mobile in some bits. I do think Chaz Surratt as a round three, round four target is making a lot more sense. So talk to me about Jameen Davis and Chaz Surratt. So this is kind of then... That's like cashing this linebacker class in terms of guys that I think it actually be like difference makers. After that, you have guys who can play in your defense, but I don't foresee any of those guys really ever being true, you know, plus linebackers at the position. So that that to me is it. Davis, long, athletic, just played spot drop zone in Kentucky, though, a real simplistic role. Don't really know what he can do with coverage because of that. And then Chasserat, we've talked about a bunch. The best blitzer in this like draft class after Michael Parsons that guy flies downhill reckless as can be just still not still not up to speed at the position yet though it's just still former quarterback cannot read his run reads are a disaster they I believe was, he can get better I, I do too I, I think the personality is that like you the improvement we've already seen is there with him it's just it, it's not you, if you're throwing him in the middle of your defense year one I think you, you're going to have a bad time. UNC's Chaz Surratt, I think, will outperform his draft position. How well he outperforms it will be the ticker. You know, yeah. uh, will be everything. Because I do think he likely goes on dra- round three, round four. But I, of any guy, of any linebacker draft in that range, feel that he will outperform his draft position yeah. if he does get drafted. That's what I'm saying. Like that, those, that's the end of guys who could be mm-hmm. difference makers. Because yeah. he, he very well could. Right now, he's probably not. A group of receivers now. I want to talk about the receivers on your draft board. You have a total of, what, seven in your top 32, which obviously factors in positional value. You won't see a lot of boards like yeah. that. But there's this first tier. I think it, the best way to talk about these guys is a tier. It is who do you want? What do you want at the position? What fits in your offense? It is not this guy's better than this guy, better than this guy. It is yeah. a tier. Jamar yeah, t- Chase, I really like hate that I've had to argue that. It sucks. Jamar Chase is so much better than Devontae Smith. It's like it's really not just that's how the board shakes out mm-hmm. so number four you have jamar chase number seven jalen waddle and number eight Devonte smith all guys inside the top eight all really talented receiver prospects guys you're buying into having a ton of success in the nfl and guys where yeah you could wait to the second to get a good wide receiver we've that's been proven on countless occasions over the past decade but you're not going to get skill sets that these guys possess you can get good wide receiver but th- these are rare skill sets jalen waddle is a rare blend of speed quickness and ball skills Devontae Smith is a rare natural receiver Jamar Chase has rare play strength for the position those are traits you just won't find in the second round you can find good players you can find maybe a Rashad Bateman who's a quality receiver but it's not going to be the same skill set and now that's going to be a value proposition that it's going to be whatever falls in your heart whatever you truly believe in your heart but these guys are damn good that's a tier of its own after that you're not getting that all-around profile. This second tier, I think, is interesting from pick, from number 18 to number 32. At number 18, you have Rashad Bateman of Minnesota. At number 21, Rondell Moore of Purdue. Number 27, Ole Miss's Elijah Moore. Moore and, then, and number 32, Kadarius Toney. Yes. Bateman, uh, he's just good at all the things that, that create a good wide receiver. Running routes, getting off the line of scrimmage. Catching the ball. Catch radius. That's a big. That's and he has like he has the size that six six two two fifteen. 
that translates when you are bigger and that's your that's the way you win that still works at the nfl level you're still bigger than the cornerbacks you're facing so yeah i I feel very good about rashad bayman rondale's the one on this list that i'm just like damn I, i don't know you're buying into a freak of nature athletically and what he can do from a not just speed perspective you ran four three three coming out of high school guy is strong as hell he is about as strong as a small receiver as you will ever see contact does nothing to him when he's running his routes but the routes he's running are slants pop screens pop passes like the he's not running a route tree it was brutal watching him in that purdue offense the guy you wish they're just trying to get him the ball though like he's their best player he's their best player produce had in freaking five ten years It was find a way to get him the ball. Don't ask him to do anything complex. We just need him to have the ball. It's like basically that worked. I mean, when he came back to Purdue from that injury in 2020, like he was finishing games with like 11 to 15 targets every single time, and all the like average depth of target of like three yards. Yeah, but that's in the NFL. That's not going to be. You don't just get one guy the ball. No one's that good that they can just break tackles exactly every time after the catch that you're going to trust that. So you that, can have a role like that in the NFL, but do. I'll tell you what, that role is not going to have 10 to 15 targets. Yes. So he really hasn't proven it, but I'm going to buy in on what he brings to the table physically. Elijah Moore is much more proven all around slot receiver. He's done all the things you want to see from a slot. Just like I said, I don't think he's at the level of Rondale and what he can do physically. And then Kadarius Tony is a freak of nature after the catch just route running is darn near non-existent not even like like rondale moore the routes he does run runs crisp well Kadarius tony is still kind of like freelancing the routes he does run you're just gonna have to reel that guy in but the tools are there to reel in but then that's kind of the receiver class in terms of that tier one of guys real safe about that tier two of guys who can be uber productive and i believe they will be uber productive but maybe just need a role they're not going to be your all-around do everything type of receivers and elijah moore already a friend of the podcast was on a previous episode and rondale moore will be on the podcast in a future episode we have him booked going to talk to him very soon all right let's jump to the edge class now because i think you have five edge edge guys ranked inside the top 28 but you've said this a thousand times everyone's edge rankings are going to be different because it is a Pick your favorite flavor. It's Baskin Robbins in this class. I think you've even said that. Quiddy Pay right now is your number one edge defender at 11, friend of the pod. Number 20 is Jason Owe of Penn State. Number 23, Gregory Rousseau of Miami, Florida. Number 25, Azizo Jolori of Georgia. And then 28, Miami, Florida's Jalen Phillips. We've talked to three of those guys, Pay, Rousseau, and Ojulari. Love those guys. Let's start with Pay, and why is he the number one edge in your opinion? Pay and Owe... Uh, the reason why they're one, two, they're too freaky to fail. They are too absurdly gifted athletically and physically and what they have to rush the passer that it'll, it'll get there. Like, you know, it's not there yet. It's not there yet for any of these guys though. Really. Ojulari is the most advanced one in this class. And he's 240 pounds. He has the serious and, and he's not, he's not even necessarily as explosive as either pay or Owe in terms of just his get off. And those guys are doing it at, you know, 265 and 255. Those guys are 15, 25 pounds on them. So paying away just the freakishness and the fact that they've already graded out fairly well. Like we saw improvement distinctly in pay from 2019 to 2020, even though it was only four games this year. We saw distinct improvement in Oway, especially in the running game this past year and how he played and used leverage on the line of scrimmage. 
from 2019 to 2020 from part-time player to full-time player. Yeah, he didn't have a sack, but he still graded out well as a pass rusher, over 80, better actually than Etor Grossmatos did a year ago. So and a much, much better athlete. Now, that's why I feel like, yeah, year one, I'm not sure any of these guys come in year one look like Chase Young. I, I feel fairly strongly that none of them will, in fact. But year two, year three, year four, the light switch flips on for some of these guys. For Pay and Owe, you can be talking about top five, top ten type of edge defender in the NFL with how, like I said, freaky they the skill set they bring to the table is. Does the edge group kind of die after this? I know Ronnie Perkins has is is a guy you really like and that's currently I think ranked sixty first on your big board. I know, but is there any guys that you really like after these five? Because I I think there is this drop off yeah. in overall athleticism and production at the edge defender position. Yeah, I, I like Carlos Basham out of Wake Forest, Peyton Turner out of Houston as your bigger, may, might be run first edge defenders early in their career, may not, and more like not pocket pushers. I, I wouldn't, I just don't think either of those guys are ever top, couldn't be top five, top 10 edge rushers in the NFL. That's not the skills that they have, but they can be consistent pocket pushers and edge setters. That that can be what you can get. I think Perkins, Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma, who's six first on our board, Joseph Osai from Texas who's 65th on our board, and I'd even throw in Joe Tryon from Washington, who's all the way down at A6 because he really is just – he's too far off. Have the physical skill set to get – to be productive in the NFL. They have the tools. You just have more question marks about them and how they'll translate. This is an exciting position group to highlight on your big board. It's the offensive tackle class, and we and we brought this up in the mock draft, but – Deep. Eight offensive tackles inside your top 40 – Number four, Panay Sewell of Oregon. Number 12, Rashawn Slater of Northwestern. Number 15, Christian Derisaw of Virginia Tech. And then I'll kind of tear this one out. Then it jumps down to number 26, Tevin Jenkins, Oklahoma State. Number 34, a big riser after the Senior Bowl, Dylan uh, Radins of North Dakota State. Sam Cosme of Texas at 36. Alex Leatherwood right after him at 37 of Alabama. And then Walker Little. Uh, at number 40, the former Stanford offensive tackle. Start with those first three, because I see some interchangeability in people's rankings with those first three. Panay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, and Christian Derisaw. So the tier I would go is Sewell own tier. He's Fair. his own tier. Fair. And then Slater, Derisaw's its own tier. So that would be like a tier two. I, f- I just feel really good about Derisaw at tackle. I feel really good about Slater on the interior at tackle. I, I still feel, think he'll still be very good. He's a very safe bet. He just there are he's not particularly strong and his arms are short. So there's like power rushers will likely give him issues. So he'll likely just have issues throughout his career with guys who are long arm power rushers, the Alden Smith molds of the world, if you will. So love this tackle class though, because that group of twenty six to forty is rare to see that many guys in that range. To have five guys from twenty six to forty on our board just that doesn't happen a lot. You don't have that kind of depth in terms of guys who have already put on quality tape. That doesn't even include Elijah Vera Tucker from USC, who people uh, can see also as a tackle, played tackle this past year, or even Jalen Mayfield, who people are kicking their pants about playing tackle in the NFL. is in a lot of first-round mocks because physically he has it, just we have not seen it translate to the football field of late, of late, of ever, at, at, the, at his career at right tackle at Michigan. So he's actually number 70th on their board. So it, it is a very deep tackle class. I usually say... Tackles, edge, you're not going to find them outside the first often. It's just Power a position rush. that I mean, goes. Rush, yeah. that edge rusher, off tackle, teams can identify the physical tools that it takes. And it's a very physically 
there's not a lot of guys that have the movement skills and the length and the size to stay at tackle and to play the edge. This class, there's, there are a lot. There are a lot of those guys. I think you'll actually be able to find one in round two that can maybe step in and start for you right away, which is rare. I mean, even after that, you mentioned Mayfield. James Hudson of Cincinnati at 77. Like, yeah. That's another offensive tackle I really like in this class. Eh, it's such a deep class. It's going to be interesting to see how, my, how many of these guys go off the board on day two. And you saw at the end of my mock, you had you know Ray, uh, Raidens and Cosme going at 31 and 32, like trying to get some of these guys before there's an absolute run on offensive tackle. And that makes sense end. when you're at the very back because – there's a lot of these guys, and they're not going to make it to 63, 64. Yeah. They're not going to make it to the very back end of the second round. Next position group I want to highlight, um, and I think this is a good opportunity to talk more about safety value and positional scarcity in this class. It's it's Trey Morig at 17 on your board, the number one safety. And then after that, there's this tier of Ardarius Washington at 42, the other TCU safety. Elijah Molden, who you're calling a safety, played a lot of slot corner at Washington at 49. And then Richie Grant, the, the senior bowl star and former UCF safety at number 50. Why is Trey Morag, you know, an arm and a leg better than the rest of the safeties in this class? It's one, the production. He's done it on the football field already. He led the NCAA pass breakups each of the last two years. And then physically, like the size, the length, the explosiveness, the speed. He's a little stiff, not quite as just an all-around athlete as you would love. He's no, no Derwin James coming out, that's, that's for sure. But the safety position is incredibly valuable. To us, it is a top five most valuable position after quarterback in the NFL. It, it, is, it gets slept on by the NFL because I think there's not a lot of guys who have a versatile enough skill set to covet. Like Not a lot of guys can play deep box slot but the guys that can in our grading are seen as very very valuable in terms of pff wins above replacement the guys that can actually make plays and do that to me that's morig now he did a lot of quarters that's what they did split field stuff at tcu but that is that's a versatile it takes a versatile skill set to play off quarters and to stick with wide receivers oftentimes that turns into basically man coverage at some point on deep routes so trayvon morig i I think we've seen enough from him and he has the physical like i said tools that no, he's not going to be Duran James, probably not going to be Jamal Adams in the box, but I think he can play deep, play in the box, play in the slot, and basically do whatever you want in your defense, and that's a valuable. That's the 17th player on our board type of valuable. That's funny. When I talked to him, he brought up Jamal Adams. He said he brought he watches a ton of Jamal Adams, wants to be as versatile, as physical as Jamal Adams. It might be tough, maybe not the same size. Maybe. He mentions that. He says, maybe not the same size, but Hopefully. I want to play with that leadership. I want to play yeah. with that physicality. I want to play with that mindset that Jamal Adams plays with. And I think you could see him that. Maybe not have the same impact, but and play the exact same role. But I think you could see him having that, you know, he's a big cerebral dude. When you, when you hear the interview, and I think it'll play either uh, Wednesday or Thursday. When you hear the interview, you'll see, like, the guy is a very smart guy on the back end. They talk a ton about his role and how much of a chess piece role he played in those two high looks with quarters and stuff. Um, he's an interesting prospect. All right, let's get to this this other tier here. Washington, Molden, and Grant. What are you getting in these three safeties? Yeah, I think that's uh, – there's a tier two that I would also even throw in. Andre Sisco who's at, at 59. 59, Paris Ford, who's at 68, and then maybe Jamie and Sherwood from Auburn, who's at 81. I, I'd throw that kind of as the tier two of, depending on what you want in your defense, like if you play a ton of man coverage, you might have Sherwood above all those guys because he has that size, movement skills combination that not the, the other guys don't necessarily have. If you play a ton of zone coverage, or Darius Washington might be your guy because he has the best zone instincts of any safety in this class. If you want just another versatile, that's probably the second most versatile guy after Trayvon Murray, is Richie Grant in this class. UCF, what he did in one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl from the slot, what he's done in 
as a deep safety in his career at UCF with, I think, six picks back in 2018. And what he's done in a more box-focused role this past year at UCF is exceptional. One of the highest run defense grades of any safety in the country this past year. So I think that's kind of that tier two of, it's again, safety is a very pick-your-poison position. There's Some teams have distinct roles for their safeties. What do you want? But in my, in my opinion, Morig, Grant, those are the kind of versatile, maybe even Paris Ford to some degree, the kind of versatile all-around guys that can kind of do a lot of different things for your defense. Before we jump to the interviews, I want to finish the big board segment of the podcast with you highlighting some of your favorite guys that just didn't crack your top 50. Like some of your guys are like, man, it's tough to, not to rank yeah. him in the top 50 guys you really like there. I really like Diami Brown out of North Carolina. The more I watch I. him, and it's just because cracking the top 50 is tough because of the stupid like route trees running there. He's just release a vertical every time is 18.6 average depth of target absurdly deep average depth of target i think it was the second highest ranked power five receiver this past season that's just and he was good at it that's really not even what i thought he was best at though like when he runs a slant when he's like has to set you up off the line of scrimmage I thought that's what he was best at but then again not seeing a bunch of it he's not physically like brandon Ayuk was a similar guy last year brandon Ayuk was insane after the catch in terms of like the limited route tree and saying after the catch and was physically like built more like you'd want a number one type of wide receiver. Diamond Brown's a little undersized, you know, 185 pounds, five foot 11. Not quite exactly what you want, but I'd, I still think he'll be a very productive NFL wide receiver. The other one, Ronnie Perkins at 61. Just didn't see enough from this year after he got, I think, started the season suspended. Dominates Kansas, but like he dominates Kansas. Who doesn't dominate Kansas? He was dominating bad tackles. When he went up against better tackles, he's still productive. Like he had a rep against Tevin Jenkins that we were watching earlier today of a bull rush that, I mean, not a lot of guys can do, but I just don't think he's necessarily a polished edge rusher. I was very surprised when he even declared in this draft class with how deep it was. So he's at 61 right now. I could I could buy into him higher than 61. Probably should because, like I said, his physical skill set in terms of I think he might run the four fives like with his wow. get off and how fast he is that in time I think it will translate to the NFL. And then the last one's Michael Carter at 72. Obviously not going to put a lot of running backs in the top 50, but to me he's a better prospect than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was last year. He is a almost dead ringer size-wise yeah. and like the skill set he brings to the table in terms of receiving ability, jitterbug type. But he is, a, in my opinion, a much more explosive athlete. And I think has a can not only make you miss, but also run through you a little bit. And that that to me is a value, is where you're creating value when you can be that guy in the passing game that Michael Carter can be. Brown was one of my three, but I'll add another one. At number 56, I really like Oakland's own Oregon cornerback, Javon Holland. I think him playing in the slot. He's mm. he's a really really good player. And I think he's going to get slept on. Like people are because he opted out. I think people are going to forget just how dominant he was in 2019. Like he was one of the most productive slot corners or productive slot corners in the NFL that season. The other one uh, I wanted to highlight was Jalen Darden at 87. At 87, I mean that. I do think that you're going to get a ton of value out of Jalen Darden, especially when you start to compare him to some of the other slot types. Like I do think that Jalen Darden can do some of it on the outside. Can also win from the slot. Um, one more for you. I had him write, written down. Uh, Tyler Shelvin, my guy at 73. Monster. You start drafting the Shelvin types in the 70s or 80s, I think you get you start to see positive return on yeah. investment on guys that just can two-gap, 
eat to run, all that stuff. And his background's also Oh, he can sweet. eat a lot of things. Oh, he can eat a lot of things. A lot of gumbo down there uh, in Louisiana. But I really do uh, – the, the big board's awesome, man. I definitely encourage everyone to check out uh, Mike's oh, big board you. on pff.com. Top 300 players. Also got a draft guide update coming. Going to be March 30th. The quarterback annual is out, which George Chahuri, Mark Chester, and a handful of other guys here at PFF put um, – put together and that came out on monday you can get that in your edge or elite subscription um but let's go ahead and now jump to our interviews with virginia tech's caleb farley and ohio state's sean wade <sighs> joining the two for one drafts podcast is former virginia tech cornerback caleb farley caleb it is an awesome to have you on the podcast man we have been a huge fan of your game since obviously the 2019 season thought you were one of better the court. What are the better cornerback prospects to potentially enter the 2020 draft if you were going to do it? But now in 2021, after opting of the 2020 uh, the 2020 season, the number one cornerback on PFS board right now. It's great to have you on the pod. Man, it's great to be here. I always um, was a fan of PFF in, in high school and when I my early years in college. So it's just an honor to you know be recognized by you guys and to have me on the show. That's sweet, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, lifer, a PFF lifer like myself. I appreciate that. Let's Absolutely. let's talk first about you know what have you been doing? You know, I think that's the number one question probably on a lot of teams' minds, a lot of analysts' minds. What has Caleb Farley been doing to work on his game since opting out of the 2020 season due to COVID concerns? I talked to uh, Gregor Rousseau a couple of days. He's saying he's yeah, in the best shape of his life. He's in the best shape of his life because he's all he's done is just like worked out and watched film for like a full year. I'm sure you're in the pretty same boat. Absolutely. You know, I, I feel the best I've ever felt in my life. You know, I feel like I'm the fastest I've ever been, the strongest. Um, my body fat percentage, you know, um, just the overall look and feel. I, I've just been doing a lot of working, um, a lot of a lot of body work and, and rehab and um, trying to install a fundamental uh, um, the fundamentals of the corner cornerback position. So shine a light on some of the workouts that you've been doing, some of the drills you've been training for, maybe goal weight that you have in mind, any goals for bench time, any or 40 vert. Are you setting any of those goals and, and where are you at right now in your progress ahead of your, uh, your pro day? I'm in good progress. Um, I like where I'm at right now. I, I still got a month and, and some time to, to work and get faster and stronger, but I really like where I'm at. Um, my goal is to, you know, have the best the best numbers at, at everything. The three cone, the shuttle, the 40. Um, I plan to put up a lot of reps on the bench press, and I just want to come in and, and be a guy that excels at, at, at everything they ask me to do. I'd be interested to know your perspective or your, your idea of what the most important or most representative drill, like combine drill, is for the cornerback position. I talked to Tristan Wirfs in the past, and he said broad jump is so important for offensive tackle. It, it, you know, explosiveness matters so much at that position. I'd be interested to know what you think, which drill best translates onto the football field when you're actually in pads playing corner. Uh, for me, I think it's going to be getting on the field, putting your cleats on and running around and, and showing how you move on the field um, with your feet, and making cuts. And then when the ball is in the air, if you can attack it and, and show off some great ball skills. I think that's a strength of mine, uh, my hands and, and being able to read the flight of the ball and, and attack it at its highest point. I think for a corner, that would definitely be um, one of the most important things I would look for. Going back to you know your 2019 season, which was somewhat of a breakout season for you at Virginia Tech, you had a really good game against UNC. That was one of the tapes that I feel like is one of those banner tapes in this class for you. What went into that season and what kind of all came together for you in 2019? Because I feel like you put your best tape out that year. What do you think all came together that year for you? Well, coming into college as, as a freshman um, 
and, and start and being thrown in, in in the fire, you know, never have playing defense was being a quarterback all my life. And just after having, I, I would say, you know, an average year, a, a down year for me and my personal goals, coming back, one thing for me was to just be the best and, and, and to go for that and believe in myself. And when I stepped on the field every game in 2019, you know, I wanted to dominate my competition. I, I truly didn't want to give up a ball. Um, and, and I just wanted to listen to my coaches and, and play within the scheme and, and, ex and execute it as well as I could. Some tough matchups that year and even in previous years at playing in the ACC. Talk to me about some of the best receivers you've gone against in your collegiate career. Uh, one guy I always take my hat off to because um, we had a great battle. Uh, we competed the, the, the whole game, all four quarters, was Chase Claypool, um, Notre Dame. And I got to play him on my birthday in, um, at Notre Dame primetime uh, NBC, and it was a it was a blast. It was a, it was a fun competition. I feel like they had a really good quarterback in Ian Book. He was smart with the football. I thought I, I thought I had him on some, but he he pumped. He held he held it and pumped. Um, and it was just a overall uh, a high level uh, football game. Yeah, man. Chase Claypool too, very quickly dominating in the NFL. Not surprised by that. Um, what? Talk to me about what kind of goes into a game week or preparation for you heading into game weeks. Whether How much film are you watching? What are you looking for when your opponent's scouting? Say you're watching a Chase Claypool's, you know, Chase Claypool's tape ahead of it. And do you also do any self-scouting? Do you look at yourself and the games that you've played of late? If you're giving off any tendencies, I'm interested to know what you look for on film specifically when you're preparing for a certain team. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's important to look at yourself and, and to kind of see what your opponent is watching. Also, and um, I, I I do study film on my opponent, but not so much as I do, you know, the offensive coordinator, just because, you know, a, a opponent is just the guy in front of you. They, they kind of change every week. But if you can pick up on some tendencies and um, kind of habits or, or if you can get in the mind of the offensive coordinator, it will help, it will help you tremendously in different situations where you might have um, – uh, a cue by formations or if they're trying to disguise something. But overall, you know what the offense coordinator is trying to get accomplished um, and what they're showing you. And you might can steal one if you if you study the right way. And I'm sure so much of that comes out pre-snap. You know, when you study an offense coordinator as much as you do, there's probably so many different things you're looking at pre-snap, depending on whether you're playing in zone coverage or man coverage, whatever it may be. So I, I think film preparation, when I talk to other cornerback prospects, they talk about it, you're trying to have like a pre-snap plan in a lot of ways, trying to identify short splits in these things, which I find um, very interesting for sure. The other thing I wanted to bring up was, you know, in today's NFL, there's this kind of conversation. I've talked to Richard Sherman about this, where um, there's cornerbacks that shadow their best receiver. They play any part. They play in the slot. They play on the outside. These lockdown man-to-man cover corners, but also corners that will play one side and lock one side of the field down. What are the differences in those kind of two roles when you are playing one side of the football field versus following a guy and, and really shadowing a opposing receiver? I think when when you're only playing one side of the field and and I, I feel like you're you're kind of protected um, to to a certain to a certain extent you can you can rely on your coverage and your technique and, and you don't have to go too far out of that and and when you go to covering and, and following a guy I think it's it puts you in a position where the offense can try to set you up to be in a bad position or, or make you think or get you moving and, and and they can play with you a little more. So it gets a little more tricky, um, but you have to really, really relax and, and stay true to your technique and, 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 and just compete. And good things that happen, usually.
What's your mindset going in games? Are you hoping the defense coordinator says, hey, we need you to cover Chase Claypool every single route? I don't care if he's in the slot. I don't care if he's in the backfield. We need you to cover him. Or do you prefer working one side of the field? I, I want to cover the, the best guys. I, I want to be a guy that, that, that follows um, not just one week. I want to be a guy that follows every week. But I know what comes with that is a, is a lot of work. And, um, you know, it, it's even an honor to gain the trust from your coaches to be able to do that. So, you know, one day I hope I hope that my coaches do look at me in that light because I believe in my abilities and I believe, um, you know, I should be a guy that's following the team's number one. And that's something that I, I definitely want to do. I think that's something that you have to do to be considered one of the best. And, and you know, I, I don't play this game to be good or, or great. I, I play I play to be the best. Man, that's good. That's good to hear, dude. I think that confidence is massive Absolutely. at the cornerback position. I think, you know, confidence is massive playing defense. You know, you play the entire way reacting to the offense. You have to play with confidence. If you're caught thinking on the football field, uh, it, it can be bad news bearers. That's for damn sure. Uh, the, the other thing I want to talk about at the cornerback position specifically, and this is always a fun conversation. There's a mental game to it. You know, there, there's a there's a talking trash to it. There's there's some levels of like you have to get in the opponent's head. What's your scheme there? What's your strategy as a trash talker? Are you quiet? Do you let the game play for yourself or are you in their ear all day long? I'd love to hear that. I definitely stay true to my character outside of the field. You know, I don't I don't really talk a lot of vulgar, um, vulgar trash. If I say anything, it might be, you know, something slick to to get get my opponent thinking, you know, if if, if we're getting late into the second corner and quarter and he's only showed me three releases, you know, I'm I'm kind of in his ear, let, letting him know, you know, I, that I feel a little bit disrespected, um, that, that he needs to go ahead and show show me some stuff that he got because this is not going to cut it. <laughs> That's incredible. I, I, cause I've talked to, you know, I've talked to multiple corners where they, they'll say, I don't say anything. I look the game speaker fellow. So there's other guys like I'm in his ear all day talking about him all day. Like you know, Sherman's a good example. One of the best trash talkers in the game. I think it's an, it's an interesting headspace cause it's a chess match, man. You are playing this guy for 30, 40 routes and you're going to have to you know work him a little bit in any way you can find those edges where you can. Are there any corners in the NFL that you watch a lot of that you try to emulate your game? on? Taylor Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey, Jair Alexander, you know, hometown. Well, not not close to the hometown, and um, I respect those guys' uh, games tremendously. And just the way that Jalen Ramsey plays the game, physical, and comes downhill like a safety. You know, that's that's somebody that I envision, and I feel like I have a lot of the same type of attributes. So that that's um, it's a model for me to play my game, and um, I, I don't ever want to play like somebody. But I think it's really important to pull from a lot of guys and, and try to implement it in your own system and build your own, you know, creative player, as, as, you, as you can say. I mean, I, I think that does get underrated at the cornerback position these days. You know, it's, it's easy to not look at run defense and physicality, playing screens, playing screen blocks, aggressive like Jalen Ramsey does. It's why he's as good as he is. Would you say that's also one of your strengths, being a physical corner on the outside that comes up in the run game, that comes up in the screen game? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, um, in my in my college career, you know, I, I had to get my feet wet my freshman year, but that was something that I started growing and um, really coming into myself and, and gaining a lot of that confidence and, and belief in myself. And, and that's something that, that I feel like I can definitely do on a consistent basis. You know, I, I had a mentality that I can't be blocked, that, um, that I can truly go into a game and shut anybody down just off of just off of playing, playing um, my, my technique and doing what I'm supposed to do within our coverages. 
what are you most looking forward to proving in the NFL? Where do you want to most improve? And what do you want to prove other people when they see your game in the NFL? Oh, man, I feel like I know you guys have me at CB1, but I've always felt like I've been underrated all my life. And um, I always feel like people been in my ear and say, you know, you're not playing nobody or 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 this and that. And, and I'm just excited to finally be on the stage where, you know, they putting the best guys in front of you. Um, and, and I and I plan to I plan to dominate, dominate as I as I have, you know, you know, to get to this point. So. It's just going to be exciting. It's, it's going to be a new experience for me. But best believe I'm going to love every second I'm out there. And, and I'm going to be biting down on my mouthpiece every every second I'm out there. Fantastic stuff, Caleb. I really do wish you the best of luck moving forward in April's draft during your pro day and all those things. And uh, hopefully we can get you back on the podcast again because this has been great. Absolutely. Give me a ring anytime, man. Appreciate you guys. Of course, man. Welcome into Two for One Drafts. Now here with Ohio State's Sean Wade. He's there in Dallas working at Exos with Jamar Chase, Rondell Moore, and the like. Working, working out with some absolute monsters, dude. This just draft class is chock full of freaks, but I'm sure working next to Rondell Moore and such has got to be pretty entertaining. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It definitely is. Uh, so what what exactly are you working on right now with the virtual you know virtual combine? You're probably looking forward to your pro day. Is that in, I'm guessing late March is maybe when Ohio State's pro day is. Oh yeah, um, March 30th is our pro day. Um, just working on different skills. Um, working on a co- combine drills like everybody bench press, um, 40 different things like that. Just trying to get all that sheet that I can get the, just master as much as I can get up and just get the best out of me. So. Are you, are you setting any goals specifically for any of the drills or any weight goals, any of that stuff that's at the top of your mind? Oh, yeah, I'm trying to gain weight. Um, and during the season, I was probably like 190, 188. Um, usually I play out 195. I lost, I lost a lot of weight, so I uh, play out 195. So I'm trying to get back to 195, to, between that 195 to 200 marks. Gotcha. Um, looking at, you know, the compa- you know, we obviously decided to come back to Ohio State for your 2020 season, played a lot more outside corner for Ohio State compared to playing kind of a slot box role for the Buckeyes in 2019. Talk about the biggest difference or the biggest change from your 2019 to 2020 season and maybe some of the things that you learned kind of making that role switch in that defense. Um, the role switch was definitely different. Um, first of all, COVID happened. So yeah, that- <laughs> definitely definitely didn't get the reps that I wanted on the outside corner in practice, um, especially with the Big Ten. Big Ten was just different from every other conference canceling with the season and everything, so I didn't get the reps that I wanted. By the end of the day, it definitely was different just being on our island, playing against a lot of different receivers and different things like that. Um, I definitely enjoyed it. Enjoyed, enjoyed the season with the Buckeyes. and um, We got to our, our goal. We just didn't accomplish it, which is the national championship, so that's what I came back for. We got there. We just didn't accomplish it. So. Yeah. When it gets a very good Alabama team, I'll tell you what, that that, that offense was insane. First Heisman winner we've seen since Desmond Howard. You're working with Najee Harris down there in Dallas. You know how how insane that offense was. <laughs> you know, so, something that I loved love about your game is you know the physicality and the positional versatility you play with. And you see that on your 2019 film when you're working from the slot, playing to box safety and those things. What do you feel like that's a key strength for you in this draft class? Do you think that's a separator among these other defensive back prospects? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, even 2018, I played safety too. played some safety, played nickel 2018 and 2019 played box. Like you said, played that nickel spot, played a little bit of corner when um, Damon Arnett got hurt. So I was mm-hmm. playing a little bit of corner too. Then 2019, I just played pure corner. So uh, it's just, it's just that versatility that how I can play every, every position on the field. Um, I can do everything. I can make tackles, tackle bit running backs. I can guard the quick guys. I can guard the big guys, guard the, the, the elite tight ends in the league. Um, 
and I can just do everything. I'm very smart and I have great ball skills and just make plays in general. So. Man, you brought up the COVID year and making a transition from the position you played in 2019 outside corner without the practice, without the offseason, just had to have been an absolute grind. I think that that's going to get underappreciated uh, in this pre-draft process. But in a given game week, because obviously playing the multiple positions you did, how much film are you watching in a given game week? And what are you looking for exactly when watching opponent film or even film of yourself? Um, Watching film, it, it, it's, everybody does it different. So with me, I um... – Usually I get in, in the facility early. I go talk to my coach. We have like a one-on-one meeting of the game plan, what we got. I just think of it. If if, if I, I agree with him, I agree with him. If I say, um, I was watching, watch this game, and I, I feel like this will work on them. He'll, we'll talk about it. He'll think about putting it in the game plan. Then after that, I'll go watch some film by myself before practice. Get a good like 30 to 45 minutes. Watch some film. Usually I'll start with um, personnel, and i start with receiver splits, and then I'll break down the receivers like, so we'll have practice that Tuesday. I break down the receivers that Wednesday by myself. On Tuesday, I watch splits and personnel. And then Wednesday is breaking out each receiver that I'm a guard. And then Thursday, I watch like three games by myself and go through what I know and what we go and practice about splits, personnel, different things if, with the back line and different things like that and what defense we're going to run that week. That's how I do it. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be a detailed approach. Working at defensive back, film study has to be so important because you're, you're always looking to kind of identify route concepts, identify tendencies in your opponent receiver. I kind of think about it similar to edge defender versus offensive tackle. When you're pass rushing, you have to look at what your opponent's doing to kind of find his weaknesses and those things. I, I also want to bring up, you know, the matchups you had this year. You had... An all-star crew, man. You went against some really good receivers in the Big Ten. Obviously, on your way to the national championship game, went against some good receivers, including Devontae Smith in that game. Who were some of your toughest matchups this season? And, um, you know, talk to me about those guys. Oh, you know Devontae is just a great receiver. He can do everything. Very smooth, um, silky, uh, drop, drop good in his routes. And uh, Alabama just know how to get him the ball in, in general. Um, if you really watch that game, they just got him the ball in space and He's definitely in space guy, and it's hard. It's hard to tackle a guy like that in space, and he make plays in general. Um, the the uh, Ty, what's his name? Ty Frigel from uh, Fry Fogel, yeah, of Indiana. Yeah, Fry Fogel from Indiana. He he's nice. Um, big receiver has very very strong hands. He's nice. The one from Penn State. Um, he always been good. Mm-hmm. He been there for a little while, so he he's 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 pretty good. Um, Johan Dotson. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of receivers you got Rondell. Um. Played against him my freshman year, my freshman freshman his freshman year. You know he he's a beast with with them strong legs and just cuts that he has. He's very explosive. Yeah, he's very very explosive. So I played against a lot of good receivers. You got Waddle. Um, even though he was hurt, he still he still is a threat regardless. Um, so it's just a lot of receivers I played against. But it's really the quarterbacks. Um, these quarterbacks that I played this year are kind of it was very very accurate. Um, the one from Indiana. Uh, a lot of people underrated him right now. He's very, very – even though he throws off his back foot a lot, mm-hmm. if you really watch the game, how he was throwing the ball against us, he was putting the ball in the right spot. So, I really like him. You know, you got Matt Jones. Um, shout out to him, Duval Nation um, in front of the city. So, uh, you know, Matt Jones is a great quarterback. can do everything. Um, he got a great old line in front of him. It's just a lot of different quarterbacks. You got Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> um, who else? It's just a lot of people that we played this year are great quarterbacks and different things like that. So. I want to dive into the Devontae Smith matchup a little bit more because you know, you've probably seen in this pre-draft process, people are talking about Devontae Smith as one of the better receivers in this class, but the concerns with him are his size. You know, he's a, the slim reaper. You know, he goes by the slim reaper, a little bit on the skinnier mm-hmm. side. 
how does he overcome that? You know, because he still was absolutely dominant and so productive in college when you're going against a receiver like Devontae Smith that maybe is on the slimmer side. How does he overcome maybe some of that, you know, weakness or thinness in his frame? Um, Because he's little, and that don't really mean that you play receiver. Most mm-hmm. receivers are little. You got mm-hmm. the ones like Mike Evans and that are big, but you got a lot of receivers are little in general. So it's, it's nothing against that with him. Um, He's still a great player regardless. He's very, very smooth. So if you don't touch him, he's very, very fast and can get out real quick. So um, with him, you have to touch him. And if you don't, it's it's probably going to be a long day for a DB at the end of the day. So um, at the end of the day, I feel like that that slim and being little has nothing to do with that receiver position in my opinion. Yeah, I think I think that's a great take. I, I think the other yeah. thing I wanted to discuss is you went against some good receivers in Buckeyes uniforms as well in practice. Yeah. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. Um, obviously, these guys are super talented. Two of the best receivers returning to college football. Give me give me an inside scoop. I want a story from practice at Ohio State going against either Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave because those guys and Terry McLaurin too. I mean, he was there back in the day. I, I'd be interested to know some of the, some stories from practice against those guys. Oh, I can just tell you one where they just torched the, the whole DB group, the whole <laughs> practice on with E, it'll bomb, it'll be three deep balls back to back to back, and it'll be a new DB, new receiver. So um, they just they just great receivers, very fast. Both of them has great hands. Um, you got to give a shout out to Justin Fields. That's a great quarterback we got. So they always put the ball on the money from them boys. But at the end of the day, they got a great they got a great receiver course. Um, Brian Hartline played in the league for a couple of years. He experienced, so he understands what they go through. He's a great father figure for them boys. And um, they're just very, very talented, put it like that. Um, Chris is very, very fast. Get out his um, breaks very well. He he has great hands. Um, With with Garrett, Garrett's just a freak of nature, um, making possible catches. And he's just a freak of nature at the end of the day, so. And they continue to reload, like multiple five-star mm-hmm. recruits coming. There. I mean, Ohio State's receiving core is nuts, man. I, I kind of want to put you on the spot and ask you who's better, Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. It's it's the conversation, Sean. I need you. I need you to t- break the tiebreaker for me. Route-wise, I would go with – that's hard. It's tough. Chris is faster. Garrett has just them elite hands, them, them catches, that them high-point catches. He catch, he catch everything. Chris is definitely faster. I really can't tell you it's better because they, they both have they like differences. Man. Because um, Chris is definitely a burner. People think he's probably not that fast, but if you really run with him, he's a burner. And his, his stop and start is very, 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 very elite in my opinion. Garrett has great routes, and he knows he how to get open. He under, he, Garrett understands the game very, very well. Like, if it's zone, I'm going to sit in this zone. I know where to sit at. I know how to get the ball. And when the ball is in Garrett's hand, he makes plays. The same, the same with Chris. When the ball is in his hand, she's going to make the plays. So. Man, you're making me – football season's over, and I'm upset about it. This is this is rough to see, man. I, 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 it sounds awesome. Chris Olave, too, I think does have a pretty deep track background. I think from high school, I think he ran track. I'm not surprised that he's got some burners himself. I want to also look at uh, some of the corners you played with. I mean, Ohio State is DBU to a lot of people. You're the next guy coming out, you know, playing with Akuda, Damon Arnett. I mean, they, there's a lot of talented Ohio State cornerbacks coming out. Talk to me about the experience you had with them and, and some of the things you learned from Akuda, Arnett, and among others. So really, we don't call ourselves DBU. We call ourselves PIA, the um, best in America. Um, learning from them is just just a very elite. Um, you know, Damon. Damon is, Damon is just a, a great player, a great guy. Jeff is a great, very great guy. But it really just it started with Marshawn, Gary, and all them boys. Roby. It started with them. 
and really just learning from them, going back and watching their film. And when they come back, they come back and teach us stuff. Um, you got Denzel, I played with him. A lot of people don't talk about Denzel like that, but Denzel is a great player. Um, he got he got a couple of injuries in the league, but he always making plays in the league for the Browns. So it started with them, um, learning from them different things. Coach Calm is a great recruiter, and he can just get the best DBs in the nation. Right now, we got a couple of freshmen. We got a got like six three six four corner right now at Ohio State. People people don't know about him from Texas, and he's gonna be a very very elite. You got um, seven banks right now. You got Cam Brown. Cam Brown got hurt last year. And if you really watch the film from last year, he's going to be very, very elite. He can play that nickel position. He can play that on um, corner position. You got Tyree Johnson. Um, he's from the same city, same school as me. He's going to be very, very elite. He just had a couple guys in front of him. And that's just how life is sometimes. Sometimes you got to wait your turn. So um, it's just it's just how it is, how they recruit there. They got good guys in front of them, and everybody is willing to learn. And they have no egos. Everybody's willing to learn from the person in front of them. So that, that's just how everybody take it. And you got to talk about our safeties, too, from um, – the hooker and everybody. Um, we got little hook on um, hooker's little brother. He's going to be good. You got Josh Proctor. Um, Jordan Fuller is the, is the Tom Brady of the draft. In my opinion, he got drafted the same, the same time as Tom Brady. You see what he's doing in the league, making plays for them boys. So it, it's just how everybody approached the game and how everybody's willing to learn and throw it at Eagles. BIA. I love that. Let's finish with this, Sean. What let's talk about what is an NFL team getting from Sean Wade in the April's draft? I love I love this question because it really just sum yourself up as a player on and off the field, what you're bringing to the NFL. So really, I'm a, I'm a very, very smart guy. I understand the game of football that ends out. Um, I can play all five positions. I can play safety, free safety, strong safety. I can play in the box, like you said. I can play that nickel, and I can play corner. So I can play all five positions in the back end. I understand the game. Um, I'm, I'm, I could tackle, tackle anybody. I could guard anybody, any position, tight end. To the slot, to the outside, quick guys, fast guys, the big guys, and I can um, I can blitz. I, I just make plays in general. Um, got great ball skills, can be rangy, and in, in the free safety position. So I feel like I can just do everything in my game. Um, there's some things I know I, I got to work on, but at the end of the day, I know I can do it. Jack of all trace, a chess piece at the next level. Really appreciate your time, Sean. I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. Thank you. In these uncertain times life is full of questions. Like when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. <sighs> CB1, Caleb Farley. Absolute family. And Sean Wade, I thought, had a lot of interesting things to say about Devontae Smith. I thought the comments he made about Devontae Smith's weight, like, and it not mattering, was interesting. He also raved about DBU, a.k.a. BIA, best in America, at Ohio State, the secondary. And then also Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, the two best receivers in 2022. Would you say that right now? If you had to build a big board, the two best receivers play at Ohio State. And I'd put Garrett Wilson one. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think Chris Olave is awesome, though. And I am I so excited to see him come out. Not come out in 2022. And do what now? I, I'm so excited to see him come out in 2022 because I want him to come in this class. I liked him ahead of Bateman in some ways this year. I would have probably put him ahead of Bateman if I was the man behind the big board. But And you have Bateman as high as 18. I think Olave could be better than Bateman. That's how cool or how cool, how good uh, Olave is. A lot of fun interviews. We got some really good interviews coming down the slate as well. We're talking to Rondell Moore, like I said. Uh, Trayvon Morg's going to come up. I'm trying to look at our schedule here just to tease it a little bit. Um, 
Trayvon Moore, Demetric Felton, Benjamin St. Juice of Minnesota, Levisa, Levi Muzurike of Washington, Diami Brown, Osa Digizua. Got Walker Little coming on here pretty soon. A lot of cool interviews coming up. Jalen uh, Darden. Jalen Darden. Jalen Darden's another one. Um, some fantastic interviews coming up. Shout out to David Zofaro, guy who's booking all these for two for one drafts. And shout out to you guys. The support for two for one drafts has been insane. Top 10 podcast. Top 10 American football podcasts in the country. Let's go. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Love everyone that listens to the 2 for 1 Drafts. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, producer Mike Quinn, 2 for 1 Drafts.